You are listening to Scotland's Ear to the Ground, the podcast that brings you interviews with Scotland's finest composers. Your hosts are Aileen Sweeney and Ben Eames. Today we are joined with Alistair White, a Scottish composer and writer currently studying a PhD at Goldsmiths in London. Alistair has been shortlisted for a Scottish New Music Award twice and has created work for opera festivals Tete a Tete and Opera in the City, the Scottish School of Contemporary Dance and the Scottish Poetry Library, among many more. Hello Alistair, it's great to have you. Hi, hi, hi both. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely <laughs> wonderful to, wonderful, wonderful to be here. And thanks so much for having me um, in, in, in digital Scotland, cyber Scotland. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> it's great to have you. So earlier this year, your fashion opera Robe was released on Meteor Records. Could you give us an insight into the synopsis and how the idea for the opera was born? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking about how to answer this question because there's a lot of I suppose there's a lot of different things that fed into it, but I was uh, what I've never talked about before was when the moment when I thought, oh yeah, this is what we're going to do, which was when I was in Lithuania, just at a conference somewhere, looking at a pickled turtle um, in, a, in a museum somewhere, and it was I don't know what it was about the turtle, but it was at that moment looking at the um, at the turtle that everything seemed everything else seemed to fall into place. I think a moment before I had also been looking at some other stuff that had more. Um, more relevance to the opera, but it wasn't until I got to this jar that it all yeah, it all came together. The opera explores a number of things, but I suppose to give a synopsis, one of the one of the main points that it's trying to address is the transformation of what we might understand as the relationship between the real and the virtual in contemporary society. And this is something that the fashion opera cycle tries to do more generally is to try to look at what what kind of a theatre what 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 type of a theatre would exist in the future on the grounds of certain things that are happening at the moment that are really really exciting um such as you know cosmological discoveries that have redrawn the nature of reality in our place in it and also upcoming technologies like the internet of things but virtual reality of course but most excitingly something like the the quantum computer which turns those very cosmological discoveries from a kind of, I suppose, uh, like quaint piece of knowledge into an everyday use value. And what, you know, what happens in the coming century when the quantum computer is just as, as dull as, I suppose, the internet has made social media and everything is quotidian and everyday. Uh, what happens when that, becomes, what, what does that do to our understanding of where we, um, yeah, what, what we understand reality to be? Because at the moment, for, for all of the advances of of, of technology and 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 such, we, we still subscribe to this very um, kind of Newtonian slash Darwinian view of the world, don't we? You know, it's the it's the thing that underlies all aesthetic and political discourse that you are uh, you are a subject that is free and rational and acting, and you look out through your eyes and you see a world that's there and you move through it. And we 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 know now that a lot of this is. In, isn't true that where these actually it's much more like this foaming expanse of endless possibility and 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 potential, and so what would theatre look like? How would theatre address these questions? And that that's the idea behind fashion opera to try and create uh, relationships within um, the dramatic structure that rivals the structures of 
society and to therefore create some kind of, uh, you don't want to say transcendence, this is a very silly word, but some kind of basically the, the, the potential for something to happen that had never happened before. It uses different forms of causality, like retroactive, um, multi-layered. There are different parts of the world and they all affect each other in different ways. But it doesn't see it as, I suppose, even though it has this kind of slightly blockbuster storyline um, that wouldn't look out of place in a Marvel film, you know, this uh, new powerful being uh, enters enters the world and, and the map maker must, must map it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's less about a story being told rather than a world being built in which the participant, whether they're you know, on stage or in the theatre, can inhabit. Um, and in that way, trying to imagine a kind of theatre that would be more like a city or more like a world, more like a, a virtual reality itself with, with multiple pathways through it. Um, and from that, it tells, it tells this story about a future society in which this traumatic event happens. Uh, in which the, the structures upon which it rests are broken open by something. I won't, I won't say what, because um, you know that'll, that'll spoil the fun. And from that event, certain things play out in which worlds collide and entangle, and hopefully new possibilities emerge. So I noticed that two of the characters' names, Bira and Nuknian, come from Scottish mythology. Was there any particular reason for this choice? Thank you. Um, yeah, the, 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 I, I'm so pleased you picked up on that. No one's picked up on that before. Um, and those, it, that's, that's very much a, a part of the, I suppose, the idea of what makes up a society. Um, and those two characters, you know, bringing in the mythology of Scotland, which is really, really, um, really fascinating and quite different from a lot of other mythological bases. And it's not, um, a lot of these, as, as far as I understand it, a lot of these characters were neither good nor bad in in the sense of uh, you know they weren't they were just different and had different strategies and tactics to use so it was it was best, like like kind of a spider in the corner of your room you know it's 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 not it's just up to something different and if a spider was really powerful you would probably just try and you know leave it alone as as, as much as possible <laughs> And um, Rowan also, she just because it's wonderful to talk about this, um, is obviously the tree between the two worlds as well, the, the Rowan tree, which is such a beautiful tree, and that's 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 the symbolism behind the, their name also. Thanks so much for that. Well, why don't we have a little listen to the opening of the opera, which is titled Beera's Warning." 
So you, you not only composed the music for this opera, but you also wrote the libretto. How did you balance these two roles? Could you imagine the music as you wrote the libretto, or were they quite separate processes? Yeah, this is a really um, interesting question. Uh, thanks for asking. And it's one of those ones that actually, it, because it's about tensions between things, it's very, very difficult to talk about it, because it's very difficult to quantify it. If you're talking about musical... Um, techniques. It's 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 much more simple in some ways. You get, or or if you're talking about what you're doing in a poetic form, but how those two things entangle is much more. Uh, I found difficult. It's interesting. So just to think about poetry on its own already has obviously a musicality that it then can subvert. And I just thinking off the top of my, David Harson, who's obviously the librettist, has that is a poem sang the rat, which sets up a compound time that you you almost hear the music in your head. That then the poetic form goes to deconstruct and disrupt. Uh, you know, so something like with your, um, something like that is you know at the forefront of it. But then also that's what all poetry has. Does isn't it? Quite often I, 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 you feel that poetry is about somehow containing that musicality within it. Somehow it's, it was, there's some kind of a suppression or containment and that kind of almost bursting, particularly in something like a sonnet, you know, it's almost bursting out and how it contains and prevents the musicality from coming out is what makes it so interesting. Um, so what I found most I suppose fascinating about the two is well firstly you can you can think through ideas that you can't do in one alone so you can for instance you can be talking about one thing and then saying something completely different and actually you know music is a great 
form of discourse, it's a great form of argument. You can think through ideas about the nature of time and process and subjectivity, which you can't say in language at all. And so you can have an argument going on in music in which is then counteracted or disproved by something that the, the, the language is saying. So in a pure, at a purely contentious level, they can work in this mutually exclusive paradoxical way that is very beautiful. Um, further to that, you can get, obviously, as I was saying before, you can have forms that support one another or that actually collide and produce a new form that wouldn't have existed previously. And the thing that I was saying is more difficult to talk about is how these things move. So how, how they might move from supporting one another in a kind of you know operatic realism where is the idea that everything is in the service of the text and you just want good dramatic clarity um, or you can move that to create its own form of drama um, so text and music can do that it's not that one is in the service of the other but both have their strategies that are completely you know alienated from one another but through that alienation they become absolutes and so can retain this um this 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 relationship that is that offers i think very exciting dramatic potential So we noticed that the opera is very visual. The musicians are on stage with theatrical roles alongside choreographed routines and unique fashion. 
How does this contribute to the overarching theme and philosophy of the opera? Yeah, thank you so much for this question. It's really wonderful. Again, that like you picked up on some of this. So thank you. I mean, I think you picked up particularly in the direction this gradation between like the audience and the heart of the the drama itself, which moves from again these characters set up within these oppositions really and um, between the the pianist and the, the flautist the pianist is not in character whatsoever it could, could almost be part of the audience flautist is is in a relationship with that position but is dramatized through heavy makeup and certain aspects of embodied performance and extended techniques that are employed to change the sound and they exist in a in a relationship with with the storyteller who also exists then in another relationship throughout who exists and so on and so on. So there's these through the through these kind of relationships, there's a gradation in reality from the dancers at the the most virtual to Ben the pianist at the most the most real in the sense of the drama versus the audience. And um, so um, yeah, it's really wonderful that you you noticed that in the video. Um, the relationships between the fashion, the dance, and the music is also I, I suppose that goes back to what I was talking before about the nature of what fashion opera is and these paradoxical double absolutes, which I've called contingent dialectics. So the relationship between fashion and opera is, again, comes back to this idea of, of, of multiple absolutes. It's something that really fascinates me. And fashion opera is it's an example of a contingent dialectic. Fashion and opera can't, they can't really coexist within the same artwork, with the one becoming either fashion will collapse into costume that supports the tactics of opera, or you know, music will, will collapse into backing music or, or not, uh, sorry that sounds better, not not just better, but a background as part of the the aura or the atmosphere of of the garment um is what i mean um so how do you get these two things to to coexist because they they also have completely different strategies fashion is a spatial art form an interventionist art form it exists it's based you know on exchange value or, or it has its exchange exchange value is a huge part of the aesthetic event within fashion the, the example i always give is the is the prada bag the nylon prada bag which is uh, which is just an incredible incredible work of art it's just this piece of nylon but with a with a prada logo stamped so nylon is obviously a very cheap material with the prada logo stamped upon it. it was the first and this and this transforms the bag into something very very expensive it gets this it's exchange value balloons now this is actually when you see when you see it in, in real life, it's actually something very, very profoundly beautiful. That it's, it's something in that relationship between the transformation of exchange value upon this piece of otherwise worthless nylon, it incorporates that into the thing that you are experiencing aesthetically. And I think there's a lot in that to learn for art forms that you know work very autonomously but want to be interventional or interventionists want to be political in some way. You know, what is the structural thing that's actually going on in that bag without you know sniffing and turning away and saying, oh, it's just phantasmagoria or it's you know what I mean? I think something more interesting is happening there. Um Fashion is also as a, it exists in the real world. It's something that that is the it's the theatre of the everyday. It's a gradation between the virtual and the real that is much more towards the um, that is much towards our everyday lived life than something like obviously a theatre which has to take place within a pre-ritualized space. Um, opera, on the other hand, is um, something that is you know much more supposedly autonomous, removed from everyday life in the market. Uh, it's temporal rather than spatial art form. So they're, you know, they couldn't be more removed from one another. So the attempt to bring them together through these multiple absolutes represents 
part of these ideas that they're behind trying to rival the structures of experience through um you know essentially a multiplicity of worlds and strategies one of the reasons you call it a fashion opera is because you could go along and experience it as a fashion show you could you could experience it as a dance show and that that would be as relevant in interpretation and hopefully people do and again to come back to the, the overall idea this is hopefully part of a way of establishing a different approach to what theatre might be so it's not about the individual that experiences it but rather it's about the spaces between the individuals in the theatre and how they combine together with the theatre with the stage with the technology of the score with the music into this kind of um almost like a cyborg you know that's made out of um made out of people and wood and dust and note heads and that somehow that has agency like an ant colony or a society or a protest if you've ever been on a, a protest or a riot in the way that the the crowd moves and begins to move like that kind of militant work you you feel that you're becoming part of something that itself it, it's not it's not a brain or a subjectivity but it does have an agency this non-human agency and it's that hopefully again in these the way that these things combine and that, that everybody therefore experiences it together and together the, the multiplicity of their experience forms the the experience of the opera
Can you give us an idea of what it's like taking on writing an opera? Uh, how long did it take to write? And does the compositional process differ at all uh, from when writing concert music? That's a really interesting question too, and I'm really glad you asked it right now. I'm in the middle of writing one at the moment, so it's very different. If somebody asks you this question um, when you're not doing it, and then you look back on it with very rosy eyes, um, you know, you get that idea of you maybe just walking around like, mm, yeah, oh, mm, ah, ah, you know, all this. Actually, it's not like that at all. There's a lot, there's a lot of crying, basically, at first. Lots and lots of crying. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say that. Actually, the crying comes second. Firstly, it's, 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 I suppose, a lot like falling in love. Like, firstly, you get this idea of something that you really, you know, you really want to do, something that you feel you really need to say. And that is, like, you know, wonderful period of, you know, elation and, and, and pure, just pure joy, I suppose. And then that is followed swiftly by, as I say, lots and lots <laughs> of crying and waiting for the night in a cold sweat, this kind of thing. And that usually happens until you get to the boat, I've found, um, until about something like the 15-minute mark. And then after that, it gets a little bit easier because you have some understanding of what it's going to be. And I suppose for me, how it differs from writing a piece of concert music is it feels very much like you're not writing it, that it's very much the material itself is manifesting. And I suppose it's, it's maybe also to do with that entanglement of music and text and the way that these strategies of form, material and structure have to combine together. You, you, you have to listen to them a lot more than you can tell them what to do. And I suppose that's why there's all this, uh, the tears in the first 15 minutes, because you're fighting it, and then eventually, you know, it beats you, and you can you can live together for the rest of it, which is a really great thing to experience. I love doing it. It's such a wonderful process, and also you're not, you're only a part of a much larger thing. Well, it's much more like rock and roll, I suppose, in that sense, where you're in a band, really, with lots of other people who do things that are things like you, you know, and together you'll make this thing that none of you would have been able to imagine on your own, which is a lot of fun.
And how did you how did you first become interested in writing opera? Um, I'm trying to think if there's something before this. Obviously, like you know, you've, you've been exposed to opera in various ways, like you know, Bugs Bunny. Obviously, everybody sees that. And, you know, you'd maybe seen brief snatches on TV, but it was only when I really discovered The Ring, basically. You know, and it was just like, what in the fresh hell is this? You know, somebody wrote a 16-hour piece of theatre that is both an argument for revolution and about the nature of modernity, whilst at the same time being a love story about uh, which contains all those feelings of like dancing and joy. It's just, it was just like, how is this even possible? I, I remember even reading the plot on Wikipedia and just being like, whoa, whoa, like how? And then, and then experiencing it, and obviously that is just. It's a life-changing thing. I, I got, it, it just made me really, really interested in how music could dance with ideas and also just loved it. Just loved the feeling of being in an opera house and the things, uh, and, and it fills up with that sound and you feel, like I say, you're like you're part of this kind of thing, this cyborg that is happening. It's a very, very, very exciting experience. I mean, to this day, that is, you know, it's one of my, one of my, one of my favourite things in the whole wide world. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, so, Robe is one of a series of four fashion operas. How do these four operas relate to each other? Yeah, that's a really interesting question as well. Thank you so much. Um, I suppose the simplest way of saying it is that it takes concepts like structure and the ideas within them as musical ideas. They don't proceed from one another in a narrative way. But, for instance, at the end of where, the kind of primacy of objects within society creates a kind of a reimagining of what time is and through that a possibility of reimagining what subjectivity is so at the end of the opera it finishes with one of the characters basically reassembling time um and that in itself threw up a whole load of questions you know what would that society look like what would a society that was based upon such fragments how would it operate on one level and so that's where robe came from the idea of what happens in the spaces between things uh, well that's one of the basic ideas of like both narratively and conceptually within robe um whenever anything seems complete it's not it's an illusion so it was absolutely vital to try and break that down so Wode follows Wode is like Lear's fool um like a, a, a destroyer uh, a complicator something that, that uh, if, if Robe is the, the erection of a labyrinth, um, Wold is someone doing loop the loops on a dirt bike uh, within it and, um, you know, spray painting, this kind of thing. And then from that, obviously, there becomes a load of other problems. And the final one, which I, I don't want to talk too much about, but I suppose I, I talked a lot today about how Robe attempts to throw you into the world and for you to be experiencing the aura, the, the atmosphere of the world itself. The final opera kind of inverts that and says, what, and looking at the relationship between you know, atmosphere and integrality through uh, conceptions of the universe. And so they proceed from one another, trying to answer one another's questions or to break one another down. And and when will the, the next one of the, the series be released? Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the next one is Wode, and we're aiming for late autumn. It's actually, it's wonderful. Again, wonderful to be talking about this. We're, we're, it's just about to be mastered next weekend. So very, very, very excited about oh, really? that. Oh, really? Yeah, definitely in the in the joy phase of that at the moment. Um, and Wode, <laughs> Wode was something that was written, you know, made uh, in collaboration with the musicians Kelly Pokins and Susie van der Heiden across 2020, when we never really knew what was going to happen from month to month or, like, how we were going to do it. And it's it's it really builds that historical contingency into it and uh, there was many times when we just we really didn't think it was going to happen at all or you know that it was going to be impossible and so it's it's it's, it's i should say it's entirely down to the you know the willpower of susie and kelly 
um, because it's you know you can always write. You just I just write music in my bedroom. It doesn't it doesn't change um, whether there's like the world you know the world is ending. Like it, you can still do it, but it's very different to be, to, to be actually performing and rehearsing and, and creating the opera. So well, yeah, the CD will be out in autumn, but we're going to be releasing the the video of the film that they made in in Belgium in February and uh, later in June. You've mentioned uh, that Wood has been released this year. What else is coming up? Have you got anything else you would like to plug? Well, I would. There's this fourth opera, which I don't want to talk about too much because it's. Um, and he he says talking about it. The um, <laughs> you know, I just said nothing. Yeah, it's seven seven. Um, the seventeenth of August. Um, we're hoping to premiere it in London. And um, more again, more details soon. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much because I will probably, yeah, it's a bit, I will give too much away. But 17th of August, the 4th of the Fashion Operas in London. Amazing, we'll need to keep a lookout for that. Ear to the ground, ear to the ground, ear to the ground.